this morning we've reached what I, I believe is really a crescendo in our study of the attributes of God. Now, of course, each week as we consider the attributes of God, each week we have reached a, a crescendo of, of sorts. But this morning, as we behold the holiness of God, we find that this is the culmination of all of God's attributes. In fact, none of God's attributes are more exalted in His Word than God's holiness. We saw in our scripture reading this morning, we sang, Holy, Holy, Holy. This is the cry that is on the lips of the seraphim around His throne. And it's also the cry that, are, that is on the lips of the four beasts around the throne in Revelation 4. Stephen Charnock says that, that God's holiness has an excellency that is above His other perfections. That His glory is His beauty. As is the glory of the Godhead, so it is the glory of every perfection of the Godhead. As His power is the strength of them, so His holiness is the beauty of them. Have you stopped lately to consider God's holiness? Sadly, most of us probably don't do this with any real regularity. Now, which, which of God's attributes do you tend to be drawn to? Which of God's attributes do you tend to want to focus on? Many of us would, would want to focus on, on God's love and God's mercy and His faithfulness. And, and those are all great and glorious things to focus on. But it would do us well to consider today and to consider every day the holiness of God. It's a profoundly valuable exercise to pause and to meditate on any of God's attributes. But without holiness, God's love would cease to be glorious. And the same is true for each of God's attributes. God's power without His holiness would be monstrous. God's justice without His holiness would be volatile. We must consider all of God's attributes in the light of God's holiness. People talk about holiness. It's a word that, that people throw around, but, but quite often they don't really know what it means. And holiness is often misused and misunderstood in our day and in our age. When, when people say holy... They're, they're, they'll, they'll even quite regularly add it to some profane thing. People will say, holy cow. And this, this, isn't, this isn't just some vague reference to Hinduism and their, their ironic reverence for the bovine. There's really something that's coming out of their hearts when they'll, they'll say, take something like the, the holiness of God and attribute it to cattle. It's ironic that, that, that people would use the word holy cow, or that cows would be considered holy in India, when they, they, because they view cows as holy, they, they won't eat them. This is a country where, where many people are starving, and so people are starving while food is walking down the street next to them. It is, it is bitterly ironic. But that is far from the worst reason why it is horrible to, to attach the name or word holy to a cow. To link holiness with something that is utterly profane is an assault on God's character. It is an assault on the Holy One, the one who is immeasurably above and beyond us. And so do not call what God has called profane holy. God Himself is the one who is holy. Now, of course, we can't really understand what God's holiness is. 
because it is, it is so far beyond and so far above us. We just can't comprehend it. I've had some interesting discussions over the past several weeks of discussing God as people try to, to, to grapple with the concept of God's immutability or, or God's omniscience and His, His omnipresence and His omnipotence. But in reality, God's holiness is a far, far more difficult concept to comprehend than any of those. A.W. Tozer said, we, we know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. He said, the natural man is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his holiness he cannot even imagine. We cannot grasp the true meaning of the divine holiness by thinking of something or someone very pure and then raising that concept to the highest degree that we're capable of. God's holiness is not simply the best that we can know infinitely better. Do you understand that? So we can, we can talk about, about God's power and we can acknowledge that, that we as human beings, that we have a degree of power. Again, it's nothing compared to God's power. But we have even just a little bit of power. Or, or we could think about we could think about God's wisdom and we, we can acknowledge, okay, we have a little bit of wisdom. Sometimes a very little bit of wisdom, but we do have some of that. But when it comes to God's holiness, left to ourselves, we have none of that. We, we are completely unholy apart from God. And so, so we're, we're talking about things and we're considering things that, that are, are completely different from us. As, as different is, as, as light is different from dark. They, they are, are completely, they're not just, just at, at opposite ends of a spectrum. They are quantitatively and they are qualitatively different things. Different things altogether. So if that's true, if, if we're talking then here this morning about, about something that we can't really fully understand or even, even really begin to understand, then why, why talk about it? Why would we, we study any of, of God's attributes, see, knowing full well that, 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 that I am completely incapable of communicating it and that we're all completely incapable of, of fully comprehending it? Well, I spoke about this when we first began the study of the attributes of God, because the study of who God is is really the most important thing we do. It's the most important thing we can do is to study who God is. And, and we, we do that every week as we, as we study God's Word. We, we try to understand in a deeper way of, of who God is and to think about who we are in the light of who He is and, and what are the, the ways that, that, that these truths need to be applied to our lives today. The study of God is the, is the most important thing we can do. And also, when we study who God is, that the people who belong to God begin to change. They begin to, to grow and they begin to be made more like God. That as, as we read in Romans 8.29, that we're predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. We read in Hebrews 1 that, that Christ is the image of God. So as we consider who God is from His Word, as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts, we, we are changed. We're made more like Jesus. We're made more like God. Yes, it's only in incremental, in small steps. But sending God's Word together is a means of grace to grow 
into the, the likeness of God. And, and may that be true as we study God's holiness. May we, may we begin to be more holy as we consider the holiness of God. This morning we're going to see how God is holy in His person and in His works. And then we're going to see how we are also to be holy in our person and in our works. Again, we can't comprehend this without the Spirit's help. But the Holy Spirit is working in your heart and my heart right now as we examine these things. He is, is interceding for us before the throne of God that if you would grow in your understanding of, of this, of the holiness of God this morning, and that you would change and that you would grow in, in your own holiness. So let's pray one more time as we, as we seek to, to delve into these things together. Once again, Holy God, we come before you. But Lord, we, we come before you as a people who are to, to a, a certain degree aware that we are unholy. Lord, I rare, I'm aware to, to a certain extent that, that I also am unholy. I don't, I don't understand the depths of that. But Lord, we know from your word that you are faithful. Lord, we know that, that you have promised the help of your Holy Spirit to transform us, to make us more like your Son, that we would be a reflection of your glory. And so, Lord, as we consider your holiness something that is, is utterly different and something utterly uh, apart from us, Lord, would you, by your Spirit, help us to understand these things in a, in a deeper way? Would you, by your Spirit, help us to respond in praise and worship? repentance and faith, that we might become an increasingly holy church, that our families and that our individual lives would be made more holy because of this study here this morning. We pray this in the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So first of all, God is, is holy in His nature and in His deeds. Now both the Hebrew word and the Greek word that are translated holy essentially mean separate. It means separate. So to be holy is to be set apart. It's to be set apart from all that is common. So it's not just a, just a separation this way, it's a separation this way. And so there's two senses in which this is a separation. There is, there is a relational separation and there is a moral separation. So this first sense that we think of when we consider God's holiness, in fact, the primary meaning of, of God's holiness is relational holiness. That, that God, it, it refers to his intrinsic unapproachableness. It, it refers to his, his glorious transcendence, that he is immeasurably above his creatures above his creation. So we think of, of God's, when we think of, of this, this uh, relational, this relational transcendence, this relational separation, we're thinking of God's otherness, that God is completely other from us. So we think in, in 1 Timothy 6.16 that, that he dwells in unapproachable light that he is unapproachable by us. 
Paul Washer explains that, that holiness is the preeminent attribute of God and the greatest truth that we can ever learn about Him. Every divine attribute, Washer says, that can be studied is simply an expression of His holiness in that it demonstrates that He is distinct from His creation, absolutely separate and a completely different being. Again from A.W. Tozer, holy is the way God is. To be holy, God does not conform to a standard. He is that standard. He is absolutely holy with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than it is. And so now we're beginning to think about the, the moral quality of God's, of God's holiness and the separation that, that God is, is morally separate from His creation. Because He is holy, all of His attributes are holy. That is, whenever we think about, about something as, as belonging to God, it must be thought of as holy. Theologian Gerhardus Voss says similarly that God's holiness is not really an attribute to be coordinated with the other attributes that can be distinguished in the divine nature. He is holy in everything that characterizes Him and reveals Him. He is holy in His goodness and His grace, and no less than in His righteousness and wrath. In other words, God's omniscience is holy. God's omnipresence is holy. God's justice is holy. God's faithfulness and holy is holy. It is all holy. He is all holy. So again, this is the sense of, of God's holiness when we think of God's moral holiness, that God's purity, His moral purity. He is morally pure in His character and in His deeds. Simon Kistemacher tells us that the descriptive adjective holy reveals God's absolute purity. He says this adjective describes the state and action of God's being. He is sinless, cannot be influenced by sin, and in His holiness He destroys sin. I simply don't have the words to, to adequately, adequately describe this. The, the Apostle John perhaps uses the, the clearest metaphor of this holiness when he says in 1 John 1, 1.5 that this is the message that we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. Again, light is not just uh, along the spectrum uh, of darkness. It's not that the darkness is at one end of the spectrum and light at the other. They are holy different. They're two different things altogether. Darkness cannot dwell with light. They're separate. They are completely opposed to each other. Robert Raymond points out that, that even the seraphim in Isaiah 6, though they themselves are sinless creatures, they feel the need to continually cover their mouths. They feel the need to, to, to cover their, their feet in the, and with their wings in the presence of the Holy Son of God. Now, but the seraphim are sinless. But they who dwell in His presence, even in their, in their sinless nature, in their sinless state, understand something that, that we, are, we can only begin to, to wrestle or to grapple with. The message of the seraphim is to proclaim God's glory, His weightiness, His substance, His majesty. It is this glory that provokes the angels to sing holy. R.C. Sproul writes in his book, The Holiness of God, 
Only once in sacred scripture is an attribute of God elevated to the third degree. Only once is a characteristic of God mentioned three times in succession. The Bible says God is holy, holy, holy. Not merely that, merely that he is holy, or even holy, 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 sorry, even holy, holy, but he is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says that God is love, love, love. Or that God is mercy, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. But it does say that God is holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. So why three times holy? Why, why not just once and, and, and not just, just twice, but three times? I mean, every word of God is, 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 is communicating accurately who God is. And so in one sense, we, when, when God's word says that God is holy, that really says it. And, and we, we can understand it and believe that, that God is preeminently holy. So why three times? I think one illustration you, you, that might help is when you think about your computer. If, if you're writing a document uh, or, or an email to, to, to somebody um, and, and you want to highlight a text, you can put it in, in a bold font, right? And you can, you can italicize it and you can underline it. Well, when the Bible says that, that God is, is holy, 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 it's really, it's in bold. It's, it's italicized and it is underlined. This is the, 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 it's something that the Bible wants to communicate to us in, in the, the strongest of terms. As I said, this is the only time in, in all of God's Word that something is repeated like that three times. We, we can think of, of other times when, when Jesus says, uh, or prior to a, one of his, his teachings, he'll say, Amen, Amen, or, or truly, truly. He's saying, in effect, there, listen, listen. This is really important. You must pay attention. So in the scripture, the, the holiness of God is emphasized. God is holy, holy, holy. Again, the angels are not content with, with just saying holy. Or even holy, holy. They say it three times, to, to the third degree, to the highest degree. So when we think about the holiness of, of God, it's again, this is something that's so far, we, we can't we can, we can wrestle with these ideas, but, but this is so beyond us. But, but God has given us also in His Word some, some clear pictures to, to, to help point to who God is. And, and in His holiness, it's probably helpful for us to consider the temple. So think about, about the, the temple in, in Israel. Well, first of all, it's, it's in Israel. The temple that, that, that we read about in the Old Testament was, was in Israel, which is itself, Israel was a nation that was separate from the surrounding nations. And the temple is, is not just in Israel, it is in Jerusalem in Israel, which is a city that is set apart and separate from the rest of the surrounding nation. And then when we, we get to the, the, the outer courts where the, the Gentiles were allowed to go, but they were not allowed past, we talked about this in Ephesians, that the wall of separation, there was the court of the Gentiles, and there's the court of the Jews, and that, that the Gentiles were not allowed to enter. And then we can, then we can think about the, the court of, inside the court of the Israelites was the court of the priests, and it is only those who were set aside for the service of God were able to enter the court of the priests. 
inside the court of the priests is the Holy of Holies. And the entrance to the Holy of Holies is separated by, by a thick, was separated by a thick curtain. And the only one who was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies was the high priest, and that only once a year. And he was only able to go into the Holy of Holies with the blood of the sacrifice to offer on the mercy seat. And when the high priest went into the temple, he would wear, he would wear bells on his clothing so that those who were outside could, could hear the, the tinkling of the bells and know that he was still alive. Because if he had gone in there with sin in his heart, then God would have struck him dead. He didn't just, just have bells on his clothing, he also had a, a rope that was tied around his ankle so that if, if God did strike him dead in the Holy of Holies, the other priests would be able to retrieve his body without going in there and being struck dead themselves. This gives you a bit of a picture in God's Word. This is meant to show us the, the holiness of God, the complete separateness of God from his creation and from their sin. Now we know that the temple system has been replaced by the blessed reality. That Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything that the temple represented. He's the radiance of God, the exact imprint of his nature. So, so as we read in the Gospels, as we read that the testimony of, of what Jesus did, we are seeing the holiness of God. In, in every in every interaction that he had, even with those who were, were vilely sinning against him. In every interaction, he was holy. And most importantly, in his interactions with his heavenly Father, he was holy as every moment of his life was worship. But sadly, many, even many who claim to be Christians, have forgotten the holiness of God. So they display an, irre an irreverent attitude when, when approaching him. You know, people even have, have t-shirts that, that have Jesus on them and say, Jesus is my homeboy. This is vile and irreverent. This is, this is a complete failure to understand the holiness of God. In many quarters, the, the fear of God it is not even seen as a virtue. Rather, it is seen as misguided or even blasphemous. Because it's a failure to understand the holiness of God. The, the God that is worshipped by many, and I would say even in many churches, looks more like Santa Claus than the holy God of the Bible. They see a kindly old man who gives you presents, but if you do the wrong thing, he, he withholds those presents or, or gives you a lump of coal. This is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a holy God. We need to understand that it's not just them out there that can fail to understand the holiness of God. That the reality is that that all of us fail to really understand the holiness of God. But so often we, we fail to understand that, that, that God doesn't overlook our sin, that, that God abhors even our sin. And not just the big ones like, like homosexuality and, and adultery and murder, 
He abhors our pride. He abhors our, he abhors our self-righteousness, our self-love, and even our so-called self-righteousness is as filthy rags. We understand this in the light of the, the commandment that really summarized all the commandments that you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. That's what, what, what moral holiness is. And none of us do that. None of us have done that for even one second. And God in His holiness would be completely within His rights to obliterate us and cast us into a Christless eternity in hell for even one sin. Your sin is not a mistake. Your sin is not an indiscretion. It's not an error of judgment. It is a declaration of war against a holy God. And all sin must be punished. A holy God must punish sin. A.W. Pink says that sin can no more exist without demanding God's punishment than without requiring His hatred of it. God is a holy God. So where does that leave us? On, on what basis can any of us approach a holy God? We must be holy in our nature and our deeds. R.C. Sproul describes the reaction that, that really I think it describes all of us at some time of when we consider the holiness of God. He says that we tend to have mixed feelings about the holy. There is a sense in which at the same time we are attracted to it as well as repulsed by it. He says something draws us toward it, but at the same time we want to run away from it. We can't seem to decide which way we want it. Part of us yearns for the, ho the holy, while part of, it despises it, while part of us despises it. We cannot live with it, and we cannot live without it. We are all an unholy. <clears throat> but our unholiness can actually help us to see God's holiness. Some time ago I had a conversation with Jane about how God's holiness is completely beyond our ability to comprehend. And she told me that, that she had grappled with the same thoughts when she was reading A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy. And she was talking to me about how she couldn't grasp God's holiness, but, but she could, could at least get a handle on her unholiness. And so her, her unholiness helps, helped her to see God's holiness. Because when you see any unholiness in you, you can know that God is its opposite. Whatever unholiness you see in yourself, you know that God is exactly the opposite of that. And so when you get a glimpse of your sin, whatever it is, and you are disgusted by it, it is a starting point for seeing God's holiness. It's really kind of the, the flip side of what we read in, in Isaiah chapter 6. Because when you begin to understand, when you begin to consider God's absolute purity, His absolute separation from your sin, from all sin, then you become increasingly aware of the sinfulness of your sin. Many of you know Jason Cashel. In his church he was, was preaching on this subject and, and he held up what, what appeared to be a white spot. 
And they asked the people in the congregation what color it was, and, and some people said white. Well, then he held up a, a white sheet behind it, a, a, a dazzlingly white sheet, and it revealed that that spot was not indeed white, but gray. And in reality, when we consider who we are in the light of, of God's holiness, we realize that even in our best, at our best, we are simply a shade of gray. Because God's whiteness is dazzlingly, dazzlingly white. And His holiness causes the reality of our spiritual condition to be made apparent. And this was Isaiah's response in Isaiah 6.5. At, at the call of holy, 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 is the Lord of hosts, Isaiah became aware of his own sinfulness. And you see, he said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, Isaiah could have looked around him, and, and he could have, at the surrounding culture, and he could have thought pretty well of himself. He could have thought he was doing a pretty good job. Until he saw the holiness of God. As we look around at, at the surrounding culture, it might be pretty easy for us to think pretty well of ourselves, to, to think that we're doing a pretty good job. But our culture does not provide the standard of holiness. It's God Himself who provides the standard of holiness. So how are you doing compared to Him? In Exodus 3, when the, the Lord appeared to Moses in the burning bush, he, he called Moses by, by the name and said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And to realize that whenever we approach the Lord, we are standing on holy ground. And, and not holy in the, in the sense that, that the, the world views things as holy, but holy because God Himself has made it holy by His presence. So even though God is holy and God is, is utterly above us, He calls us to Him to exalt the Lord our God and to worship at His footstool and say, Holy is He, Psalm 99 Five. But again, we, we, we can see, begin to see that the holiness of God, and, and we can realize, like Isaiah, that, that, that we are, are naked, that our sin is exposed before Him, that, 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 there's, that, that like Adam and Eve could not hide themselves with fig leaves, we cannot hide ourselves from the holiness of God. We can understand that God is completely separate from sin and separate from sinners. That He hates sin and He must punish it. You, you might have heard people say that, that God hates the sin and loves the, loves the sinner. That's not true. God hates the sinner. He doesn't just hate their sin. He hates those who, who sin against Him and refuse to come to repentance. This is what God's Word says. The Lord hates the wicked, Psalm 11.5. He hates all evildoers, Psalm 5.5. And He will punish them with eternal hellfire. On Thursday, when I came out of the prayer meeting with, with Lori, we saw that the billows of smoke rising behind Black Mountain, 
in the Jewish fire, fire I, I just I thought for a moment about the fires of hell. And, and as, as, you, as I watched those, those clouds of smoke come up into the, into the air, and just, just growing so quickly, I thought that's the heat of that fire is nothing compared to the, the, the heat of the wrath of God in eternal hellfire. Because again, our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 29. Again, that, that leaves us with a problem, doesn't it? Because the reality is we're all sinners. The reality is that, that none of us can approach a holy God. When we see Him and we, when we see His holiness, it really just magnifies our own sinfulness. So we come back again to Isaiah chapter 6. In God's light, Isaiah knew his darkness, and he knew that he could not approach the Holy One. But God provided the remedy. One of the seraphim took a coal from the altar and flew to Isaiah and anointed his lips with the coals from that altar. And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. It is only on the basis of God's atonement that we can approach the Holy God. It's only on the basis of, of Christ and repentance and faith in Him that we can approach a Holy God. Jesus did not just fulfill the, the holiness of the temple, He approached everything. He, he, he pointed to everything about the temple. He fulfilled the sacrifices of the temple as well. Because he was the lamb without spot. He was the lamb without blemish. He was the sinless lamb that took away the sins of the world. So when you come to Christ in repentance and faith, your sin is atoned for. Your sin is, is taken away. And His righteousness is credited to you. You are made holy. You become a saint. In fact, the word that is, is translated saint in the New Testament comes from the same Greek word as holy. So to be a saint is to be holy, to be separated for God, to be set apart, not from God anymore, but set apart for God and to God. That's what it means to be holy. And that's how, how we, as a people in our own sinful state, can approach a holy God. <coughs> to be holy is, is both a command and a promise in God's Word. You see that in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, so you also must be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So Peter on the one hand is saying, be holy, but he's also saying, you're going to be holy. And, and there, that, that second phrase, he's quoting Leviticus, which is the book of the Bible that refers to God's holiness more than any other book. 
saying that, that it's a promise that, that God is saying, you will be holy because I am the one who is making you holy. Leviticus 10.3 says, I will sanctify them that they may come near me. So rather, I will sanctify them that come near me. And so the Lord, as we approach Him in Christ, we are sanctified. The blood of Christ is applied to us and we are able to enter into His holiness. And our nature is changed by God. As I explained last week as, as part of our study of the omnipotence of God, as the greatest display of His power is seen in regeneration, where He removes the black, sinful, rebellious heart and gives you a heart of love and worship. It gives you a heart that, that doesn't yearn anymore like it once did for the, the things that God hates, but it now yearns for the things that God loves. And you begin to have holy desires. So God makes you holy. You're not just declared holy, as glorious as that is, the blood of Christ, but He actually makes you holy. J.C. Ryle, in his excellent book, Holiness, defines holiness as a habit of being of one mind with God. He says that, that our standard must be God's holiness. Ryle explains that the holy man will endeavor to shun every form of sin and to keep every known commandment. That he will strive to be like Jesus Christ. But Ryle says holiness cannot save us. For it cannot put away sin. It, it cannot cover iniquities. It cannot make, trans, uh, make satisfaction for our transgressions. It cannot pay our debt to God. He said that the white robe which Jesus offers and faith puts on must be our only righteousness. The name of Christ, our only confidence. The Lamb's book of life, our only title to heaven. So you're not saved by your holiness. And it's a good thing because you don't have any. You're saved by the holiness of Christ. But as one who has been made holy, by the declaration, by the, the, the transfer of, of your guilt to Christ and His righteousness to you, you are one who seeks to walk in a holy way because of the new heart that you've been given. So you can only approach a holy God as He makes you holy. But as we close, we, we thought a little bit about the culture that surrounds us. How do you, as, as one who is holy before God, how do you approach an unholy world? How do you dwell in, a, in the middle of an unholy culture and one that is becoming more unholy every day? As a Christian, as, as one who is set apart for God, how do you live in an unholy world? You know, when you walk through a pig pen, it's really hard to keep mud from sticking to you. I've got a couple of pointers for you. First of all, if you want to keep the mud off of you, don't roll around in it. Don't roll around in the mud of this world or you will become muddy. Yes, engage with those in the world. The people around you are covered in mud. And, and engage with them and it might get a little bit messy. You might get a little bit dirty. 
Engage with those people who are covered in mud. But you need to, to cleanse your heart with repentance to keep the mud from sticking. You need to wash in the water of word, the water of the word. You need to bathe in prayer. You need to immerse yourself in the fellowship of God's people. And the mud of the world will fall away. It will not be able to stick to you. You will be increasingly holy even as you are holy. You will dwell in the presence of the Holy God. Let's pray together.